Titleist messages roar for a reason. John 4, 27. We're gonna dive right in there. Um, I wanna kind of tell you the heart behind what I'm gonna say this morning. It's actually not that controversial. It's just something that for some reason we don't take the time to actually say in the church. And so this morning, instead of uh, waiting for Mother's Day to come around again and for it to just be just about moms, this morning I wanna dedicate this message but this really is a message for all of us because as, as men here this morning, we need to understand some real, uh, some real truth um, for, for uh, and we'll get into it, but this message I wanna dedicate to, to the women that are gonna be watching this, not just in this room, but online today. And if you have a, a, a woman that means something to your, you in your life, whether you're a lady or a guy here, this is a great message to tag them, send to them, and just take the time to listen to. I, uh, I am not okay with just progressing as a church in, our, um, in, in becoming what I believe that God always intended us to be, and that is uh, to, for everyone to have equal rights. I'm not okay with just, just having a church where people have equal rights. I also believe that we need to understand why for so many years it wasn't that way and why and, and face the fact that in many denominations and many churches, that women still don't have the same voice as men do. So before anyone shuts down on me, will you give me an opportunity? And I know that most of you in this room agree with me, but if you don't, I wanna, I wanna prove to you in the word of God, beyond a shadow of a doubt, in my opinion, that the scriptures throughout generations have actually been whitewashed in such a way where because it's been translated by, by majority of the time men, that genders have changed, that things have been altered, but they didn't quite do a good enough job that if you actually take the time to look, you'll realize the original intent of the Father over mankind. Amen? Come on. Amen. I want to point out to you that before I get into this, um, we, we set the tone in Genesis with the woman being the one who's tempted, right? Right away, it's the woman's fault. You have to understand how this plays into our psychology and our thought process. Right from the beginning, it's the woman's thought. We don't really talk about the fact that Adam also said yes. We're like, you know, but if it wasn't for the woman being tempted. Now they're joking, just so you know, they're joking. They're fully, do you understand what I'm saying here? John 4, 27, Jesus is at the well talking to the woman from Samaria, the Samaritan woman. But this particular scripture doesn't actually mention that she's Samaritan because we could make the argument that the reason the disciples were confused that Jesus was talking to her was because she was Samaritan. But if you look in uh, John 4, 27, you'll see his disciples came to back and they said, uh, they marveled that he was talking what? With a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? You see, the disciples didn't care what the purpose of Jesus's interaction with this woman was. All they cared about is she was a woman, which automatically during these times, and you need to understand this because what Jesus did and said was so revolutionary. I wanna tell you this right now. Jesus was the original feminist. Now, if you get all like crazy about that word, I'm sorry. Feminism just means someone who advocates for the equal rights of women. Jesus was the original feminist because the culture 
the Jewish culture of the day was such that men and women did not mix. They didn't talk. Women didn't belong in the room with men, especially when they were discussing government or theology or anything that seemed to have importance or you needed an education for. Women didn't really go to school. They weren't educated. They, 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 were, they had no real value that was even close to a man in this society or culture. And in John 4, 27, they say, hey, why are you talking to the woman? They never asked. I mean, sorry, they said, they, said, um, uh, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The reason behind it didn't matter. But I'm gonna show you that Jesus didn't care about what his disciples thought, what the Pharisees thought, what the elite thought, what the people who had, you know, their, their opinions about his ministry and life. He did not care what they thought. He was going to do the Father's bidding. He was going to leave us with a portrait and a picture of how the church should be throughout time, whether they liked it or not. In Luke 10, we find Mary and Martha, you know this story. He says, has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Now, I'm going to be a little silly this morning, but this is like the original get back in the kitchen. You belong in the kitchen. Mary was like, I'm not going in the kitchen. I know that it's just men out here in the living room talking about theology and listening to the rabbi and discussing things and debating things, but I belong here too. And Martha's like, no, you don't. You need, come on, come help out. I don't know if Martha actually needed help or she just didn't like the fact that Mary didn't know her place. Do you hear me? She didn't know her place. So Mary's out there sitting at the feet of the rabbi, listening to what Jesus is saying in a room she shouldn't have been in, putting her opinion in places that at the time that shouldn't have been. And it says this, it says in verse 42, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Do you know what I like about this? And I'm going to be real with you this morning. We actually, from this point, as misogynistic as this feels, we actually went backwards in church history from even here. Because at least Mary had the choice. Do you hear me? Is this too heavy for you this morning? At least Mary had the choice. We actually, throughout church history, removed the choice from women even sitting in the room when men were discussing big things. I'm proud to tell you that I think our board at this church has more women on it than any other church board in town that I know of. And I think we're about even now. I didn't even, I have any, I think we're about, let me just think about it for a second. We're either even or there's more women. Do you, where, where's Angie? She knows better. There's Angie Bibler. Um, Sister Gretchen Hill, just because of health reasons, resigned. But before that, we had, that was just in the last week or two, we had Angie Bibler, Gretchen Hill, Carolyn Mason, um, Laura Russo. And then men on the board is me and my brother Jim and Mel Tari and Pop Cleo and Rico. So we're five and four right now, men and women, which is unheard of in the church world. As a matter of fact, I have contemporaries of mine that are my age, not 75-year-old men, 
that are my age, that their churches on their website say that a woman cannot be on the board, a woman can have no pastoral position in this town, a woman can have no pastoral position, and she can have no input into the theology and doctrine of the church. And that is a load of crap. Do you hear me? You're going to be on board with me by the end, I promise you. John eleven twenty three 23 through 27, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. This is at the foot of Lazarus. I'm just giving you some examples here to build your understanding. He's at the foot of the grave of Lazarus and Martha's saying, dude, you didn't come on time. Like, where were you? And Martha says, I know that he'll rise again in resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says to her, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in thee, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I'm gonna get to the rest of that in a moment. But do you understand the importance of Jesus revealing for the first time, not to a man, not to his disciples, not to the Sanhedrin of the Pharisees, but he reveals to a woman for the first time he ever has makes this statement. It is the absolute center of our faith that he is the resurrection and the life. And to say this during this time was so controversial. And he entrusted this idea not to a man, he entrusted this idea to a woman. For the first time, he utters what has become one of the hallmarks of our faith throughout centuries, for thousands of years. It's the idea that he didn't just die, but that he rose again, that he was the resurrection and the life, that he defeated death, and he reveals this to a woman. Martha's the first to be taught one of the most astounding theological statements of the New Testament when Jesus says that to her. Jesus also likens himself to a mother hen. Do you know there's multiple references in the Bible where God has both female and male characteristics? We say he, we say him. We really shouldn't because it talks about God in, in, in many terms, gender-wise, and some of it has been dumbed down and watered down. But even in the text we have today, we see that God likens himself to the characteristics of a woman just as much as he does a man. And it says that in him, there is no male or female, that there's no Jew or Gentile. Then why in the heck have we made the church traditionally, and I'm glad we're different, but for those that are watching, listening, why have we allowed the church to go backwards from where this was when we were supposed to go forwards? Am I going to get beat up in the parking lot? Ladies, you got to get my back, all right? <laughs> this is what he says in Luke 13, 34. You can throw that up there. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how I've often longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. There's so many references like this. I just pulled out one. But I want to, I want to say this to you. Do you know that it was women who sat at the foot of the cross after the disciples were scared and ran away. It was women who stuck it out, who weren't scared. It was women who were at the foot of the cross that heard Jesus's last words. It was probably women that pulled him off the cross. We don't know for sure. It was a group of women who witnessed that he was alive and that he was resurrected. And I want you to think about this that, like I said before, the entire crux, the entire center of, of our faith is on the idea of resurrection. Who did Jesus not just 
not just make that statement to at the tomb of Lazarus, but who did he entrust to go tell the world that he was alive? It was not a man, it was a woman. It was a woman. And when she went to the disciples, they didn't believe her. Said, you're crazy. Men, I gotta be real with you. Anytime a woman says something that we don't wanna hear, we go immediately to she's crazy. Can we be real? And sometimes y'all are, but we are too, all right? Hey, now, that's the first male amen I got here today. I put something on Facebook this week, and Nick Walenda, the great king of the high wire, he says, you like walking a wire more than I do. <laughs> I said, yes, I do. I don't have a problem with it. You know why? Because I want us to be better. I don't want us to go down the same route and get in the same muck and mire. I want us to be better. And if that means walking a little bit of a wire and, and getting up here and saying some things that make us uncomfortable, at the end of the day, I want, listen, I have two little girls at home. I have a 13-year-old and a five-year-old, and I don't want to hand them the world as it is now. I want to hand them the reins to this world where they have the same opportunity, the same, they're treated the same way, they're valued the same way in the church and outside the church. And I don't want to give them something. Come on. And I'll get to that. I'm going to read some stuff to you just because it's a lot and I don't want to get it right. So um, um, the most significant events of Jesus's death and resurrections were witnessed firsthand primarily by women. From the beginning, Jewish women disciples, including Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, had accompanied Jesus during his ministry and supported him out of their private means, which means they weren't just housewives. It means they had means of income. They were successful women of the day. He spoke to women both in public and private, and indeed he learned from them. According to one story, an unnamed Gentile woman taught Jesus that the ministry of God is not limited to particular groups and persons. And if that's not the most female thing I've ever heard, that a woman had to be the one to break it to Jesus himself, that, hey, you don't have to just stay with the Jews. You can go to the Gentiles too. How cool is that? I, I, I want to tell you something that's remarkable about women today. A, a woman who follows the crowd will usually go on further than the crowd. But a woman who walks alone is likely to find herself in places that no one has ever been before. Albert Einstein said that. He was pretty smart. I'm gonna keep reading this. Is this all right? That was two people. <laughs> I should just say bye. It's also important. I know this is not an amen sermon. It's okay. It's also important to note that it was a group of women. Okay. That from the beginning, uh, I already said that. He spoke to women, both in public and private, and he learned from them. A Jewish woman honored him with the extraordinary hospitality of washing his feet with perfume. He was a frequent visitor at the home of Mary and Martha and was in the habit of teaching the meals with women as well as men. When Jesus was arrested, women remained firm, even when his male disciples were said to have fled. After the death of, Jesus, death of Jesus, women continued to play prominent roles in the early movement of the church. Some scholars even suggest that the majority of Christians in the first century may have been women. The letters of Paul dated to the middle of the first century and his casual greetings to acquaintances after offer fascinating and solid information about Jewish and Gentile women who were prominent in the movement. His letters provided vivid clues about the kinds of activities in which women were engaged more generally. He greets Priscilla, Junia, Julia, Nereus' sister, who worked and traveled as missionaries in pairs. He tells us that Priscilla and her husband risked their lives to save his. He praises Junia as a prominent apostle 
who had been imprisoned for her labor. Mary and Persis are commended for their hard work. Uh, Eodia and Syntek are called his fellow workers in the gospel in Philippians 4. Here's clear, overwhelming evidence of women apostles active in the earliest work of spreading the Christian message. How can women apostles be active in the early Christian church? And yet we have found ourselves at times in our history saying they couldn't even speak in church. Because of one scripture from Paul where he says that women should be silent in the church, but we don't read the context. We don't read the rest of it. We don't understand why he said that. He wasn't laying down a principle for the rest of time. And if that was God's intent, then why, and that was Paul's intent, why is Paul praising in his letters the very women that he supposedly silenced as they went out as apostles to plant churches and to, and to spread the good news? It doesn't make sense. Um, I'm going to continue here. Okay. A prophet's women's roles would have been included not only in public speech, but preaching, teaching, leading prayer, and perhaps even performing the Eucharist meal. And we see, I can go on and on and on and on. There's so many more women that are mentioned in the New Testament, especially for their work and contribution to the early church. And some of it has been changed. And if you go back to the original text, there's even more. There's names that have just been unidentified as a person, but that we know, and going back to the ancient Greek was actually a woman. For some reason, we lost the gender of who it was because what they were doing was so important. I, um, before I read this letter that I wrote, I, uh, I hope that you understand my heart this morning because I realize that, um, that as men, I want to speak to you for a moment, we have no idea. We really don't have any idea of what it's like to be a woman, even in this modern age where we feel like they have more rights than they ever have before. We still don't understand what it's like to be a woman in this time period. There are still gaps in how much they're paid. They are still treated differently. They, we will comment are there, I think this is one of the first elections where there was a female on one of the ballots where the pundits, even on the major news networks, weren't obsessed with what they were wearing. Like, we don't, they don't comment about Joe Biden's suit. Like, pinstripes looks better than solid on him. Like, this is one of the first, I mean, like, we still have some ways to go as a culture, and we really have some ways to go as a church. And here's the thing. I wrote a letter and I'm going to read it in a moment. But this is some of the things that I've been, I've been, we have to take the time. Men, can I be real with you? We need to sit down and be quiet and listen sometimes without thinking about what we're going to say next and hear the heart of maybe the important woman or women in our life without becoming defensive and feel like they're attacking us. It's bigger than you. It's systematic. It's bigger than you or what you've said or done or not said or done. It's bigger than that. It's they, they encounter things going to the grocery store that I don't. They encounter things going to work that I don't. They encounter things on the side of the soccer field with other moms that I don't. They encounter a world and see and experience the world completely different than me. It's not about what I've done right or done wrong. 
It's about listening to the heart of what it's like to be a woman and realize that we have some distance to make up. We have a gap to make up as a society. And if it doesn't start in the church, shame on us. Anna Quinlan said, after years as a woman hearing, I'm not thin enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, not this enough, not that enough, almost overnight, I woke up one morning and thought, I am enough. Susan B. Anthony said, the day will come when men will recognize women as his, a woman as his peer, not only at the fireside, but in councils of the nation. Then, and not until then, there will be the perfect com comradeship, the ideal union between the sexes that shall result in the highest development of the race. There's an actress that wrote this, and I, I just was so blown away. She said, being tender and open is beautiful. As a woman, I feel continually shushed. I'm too sensitive, I'm too mushy, I'm too wishy-washy, blah, blah, blah. Don't let someone steal your tenderness. Don't allow the coldness and fear of others to tarnish your perfectly vulnerable beating heart. Nothing is more powerful than allowing yourself to be truly affected by things. Whether it's a song, a stranger, a mountain, a raindrop, a tea kettle, an article, a sentence, a footstep, feel it all, look around you, take it and have gratitude, give it and feel love. And I, and I, in reading the scriptures and walking through it and realizing that Jesus on his way to be nailed to that cross, one of the last things that he was worried about is he looked at his brother and wanted to make sure that his mother was taken care of. His mom was one of the last things that went through his mind before he died. They were the ones that witnessed the most important moments of the death, burial, and resurrection. They are, he, they are, women are the ones that he got probably had the most flack for communicating. It was a woman on the other side of that line that was drawn in the sand that Jesus stepped between her and the rocks getting ready to be thrown. I think I can unequivocally say to you this morning that Jesus had a different picture of how women should be valued and treated than we oftentimes do in the modern church. With that, I wanna read this letter and then I'm going to go hide. It's actually not that bad. So ladies, I'd like you to stand up if that's okay so we can honor you. I'm a bit of a crier and I'm gonna to try to not cry. How's that sound? And if you think I should be on medication, pay the copay and I'll go to the doctor. This seems silly that I would even need to write such a letter or make these statements. Yet I can feel the nervous energy of scores of women waiting for a man with a pulpit to finally say these words and be bold and I'm just crazy enough to tell you what I think. I am sorry for the generations of men that have treated you like second-class humans. 
property, pieces of meat, as stupid, as emotional, as overbearing, and the list is endless. I'm sorry that you still bear the scars of the insecurities and misogyny that seems to be passed down from generation to generation. I'm sorry that we as men might learn or grow out of it, but you bear the marks and tend to the wounds while trying to tend to the wounds of those around you. I am sorry for your sleepless nights. I'm sorry for the times you wanted to raise your voice and protect your own body, but didn't feel like it was worth the fight. I'm sorry for the way that life-altering abuse has been at times draped around your neck as your burden to carry and reconcile. Most of all, I'm sorry that the church has at times not been a safe place for you. I am sorry that pastors have excluded you from board meetings and pastoral positions and never held space for you for your opinion and wisdom in the doctrinal creeds that we hold fast to. In the imbalance, we the church have become easily influenced and manipulated and we have become mean, unloving, and uninviting to many hurting people outside of our gates. We have allowed ourselves to be steered down a path we were never intended to be on because we subjugated you to the nurseries and Sunday school rooms as your only real value to our churches. As your pastor, I'm a proud feminist. <laughs> By definition, I will advocate for women's rights on the basis of equality. I've come from a long line of very wise and strong women. My grandmother grew up in an orphanage. She lived through the Great Depression. She buried a husband in World War II. She received the news via telegram and yet somehow mustered the strength to move on, lived till she was 99 and 11 months and leave the legacy that you still see today. My mother had five kids. She slept five hours a night for most of my life. She's watching, mom, I love you. Was a school teacher, a pastor, a wife to a pastor. Yet she still found a way to give us Christmases and birthdays to remember without a window or a pot and set an example of bravery, decency, and the willingness to embrace strength when everyone around her seemed to be crumbling. My sister has um, overcome unimaginable trauma as a little girl, raised in the middle of three and a half boys. You'll get that later. Has become one of the most respected women and advocates in our city and broken through steel barriers even in our own church. I have female friends who after decades are just now beginning to find their roar and live from the heart. It is the most painful and beautiful thing I've ever witnessed and, and I'm just a spectator. And now I'm a dad to two little girls of whom I care for by myself for three days a week. I paint their nails. I listen to their fears. I dry their tears. I one time dyed Laney's hair at 11 p.m. on a whim. I cook for them, I pick out clothes, I shop for makeup and search for the corresponding tutorials online. I research skincare routines and all the stuff a girl needs. 
but I'm scared because I want to leave this church and our world a better place for them. I don't want them to hide their scars. Actually, I don't. I don't want them to even have scars to hide. So I say this because I want our church to be different from any other church around for them, for my sister and yours, for my mother and yours, and to honor my late grandmother. Well, enough is enough. I'm beyond sad it's taken this long, but I want to make some declarations to you as a church. We at Harvest believe that a woman holds the same and for you ladies, if not greater, authority, wisdom, compassion, and value as any man. We at Harvest don't believe in gender roles. We believe that life and marriage and relationship is about a partnership and every partnership is different. We at Harvest understand that you might come out roaring if given the chance, but you have a roar for a reason and we never want you to be silent again. We at Harvest won't even try and act like we understand the pain you've endured and the price you have paid as a woman, but, but we know it is beyond words and we see the strength you carry and it has come at a high cost. <laughs> Sorry, I'm all coroned out here. Just kidding. We at Harvest fling wide the gates and we'll hold space for you at every table because we believe you were always meant to have a seat with your name on it. And when you talk, we will listen. We have seen it in the last couple of days, regardless of how you feel about it. Women, history has been made and there is nothing a woman can't or shouldn't do. So I say to every woman in my life, those who will watch this and those that will hear this today and later on, never be silent, never be tame. You have a roar for a reason. The title of this message today is Roar for a Reason. And the subtitle is An Open Apology to Women in the Church. My heart is that you would know today that we realize that there's a lot of work to be done, but we're committed as a church and as a body that you would never, ever, ever feel held back, silenced, pushed aside, marginalized. Never feel like you have to come in here swinging your elbows in order for you to have space. We're determined as a church to bring it back to what we believe was the original intention of God at creation and was the intention of Jesus through his life and actions. And we realize as a church that some of the great problems and issues within the general church and global church is because of the great imbalance between male leadership and oftentimes the silence of women. We desperately need your voice at equal volume to ours so that we can take the approach that God's called us to here in the earth and we can be truly successful as we learn to love, and to be filled with compassion and care and nurture the community and world around us. We need you desperately. So you don't have to forgive right now, but I want you to think about today. I want you to think about this letter and I want you to consider as a woman to committing based on this, based on this promise, to committing to, come, to being all in 
with your voice, with your heart, with your mind to what God's called us to do here. And let's just see, let's just see what happens when male and female, arm in arm, side by side, march forward into our community, equally valued, equally loved, equally important. Let's just see how much more exponentially we can reach and impact the lives of our community as we reverse the digression of church history and go back to the original intent of God. Is that all right? Everybody stand to your feet. We're going to pray together. Come on, let's just thank God here today that he took the time out to wake me up recently and just impress this upon my heart. It's something I was planning on speaking a week ago. And I just know more than ever that today it was supposed to be said. Father, we receive what you are saying this morning. We receive what you are saying through us. We receive, Lord, that you even liken the spirit of God to a woman as a comforter. We thank you, Lord, that no matter how many times it's been messed up, it just feels like you're ready to give us another chance. Feels like you're with the chaos and the craziness and the division of our nation and world. It feels like you're speaking louder than ever. And you're asking us to search deep within our hearts for the sins of our past the way that we have marginalized, kicked aside and devalued the greatest asset you've ever given us here on the earth. So today, God, we, we as men, we say, we repent. We repent on behalf of generations before us. And we say, now that we know we're gonna do it differently. And we pray, God, that as we uncover and discover these things as uncomfortable as it feels, that we will not only be better as a people, but Lord, that we will be more true to what you've called us to be and do. And I pray for every woman that's hearing this today or will hear this in the coming days, that the scars, the wounds, the abuse, the traumatic experiences of their life, that they will begin to experience healing they will begin to experience those wounds. The salve of heaven will cover them. They won't feel like they have to hide their feelings or push it down anymore. But they'll realize truly that you've given them a roar for a reason. We thank you today. We ask that you bless every person, every man, woman, and child that will hear this, open their hearts, and remove any bias prejudice within us that would prevent us from hearing the truth that you've embedded in these scriptures and in these stories so that we can move forward as a healthy church and that we can bring healing to the world in Jesus name and everyone says amen we love you I hope this blesses you we'll see you soon